0: Hey there. I'm Peter Flax. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Red Bolton magazine and a journalist with 20-plus years covering sports and adventure. I've always believed that there are stories that come out of sports that say something important about the culture we live in and reflect the important issues of our time. Welcome to Family Crest, a podcast that explores how so many elite athletes got to the top with a family member behind them, inspiring and challenging them from an early age. In quite a few sports, it's tough to reach the top if you didn't have someone pushing and teaching you when you were young. Surfing is definitely one of those sports. In my job here at Red Bull, I've gotten to meet tons of pro surfers, and I've seen how many had a parent who paddled out with them at an age where most of their friends were home watching cartoons.
1: Well, when you're when you're successful and you're that young, you know, you're 15 or 16, you're kind of you feel like you can tell anyone to fuck off, really, you know, (laughs) and who better than your dad, right?
0: (laughs) This season, we're looking at surfers and their support network, surfers like Kolohe Andino, who competed in the 2020 Tokyo Olympics and is the son of former pro surfer Dino Andino. You know, really, I just want to be in the water all the time. It's like, if I'm not in the water, I'm not very stoked. Family bonds are complicated, something that transcends sports. So let's dive in.
2: Jazz Smith, welcome back to the grit. It is October 20th, 2023. There's no
1: place else I'd rather be, David Lee Scales, except maybe in that pumping surf. That pumping Southern California surf.
2: Um, how's the wind down there?
1: It's kind of morning sick right now, but I yeah. think it'll it seems like it'll clear up maybe.
2: We had the little bit of northwest wind on it this morning. It's like four to six feet, but a little bit of wind, and then the local hobo uh, took our advice and it started a local, just, uh, from the beach, uh, forecast or update surf report. And so while it didn't look great at six 30 in the morning, I got on Instagram 20 minutes ago and he's got the selfie mode and he's like looking at it right now, the wind is shifted and it looks like it's going to be offshore.
1: Thank you. Local hobo for your service.
2: I know we love it. Um, and uh what was I going to say? Oh, your audio sounds so much better today. Does it? It's, I keep on
1: I keep on trying to slightly adjust everything. And so it's I think I might have hit peak audio.
2: I mean, you're getting a little reverb from the hard surfaces behind you, but it's less reverb than normally or echo.
1: Well, someday I'm going to like actually go in a padded room and start. I mean, that's where I'll end up anyway, in a padded room, and then the audio will be ideal. <laughs>
2: What will be the final offense that gets you committed? I don't know. I was uh, maybe uh,
1: reporting on Surfline, changing the name of Gas Chambers just to Chambers. Did you see that?
2: I did not see that. Did you write that story?
1: I just posted it.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I've been on Beach Grid a lot this week and I did not see that. So yeah. what's what's the story? Get into it.
1: Well, I mean, Gas Chambers, people know, I think. Oh, any core surfer should know is a way it's like n- north of pipe between kind of I mean, not really between pipe and sunset, but past pipe on the way to sunset. Gas chambers and uh, gas chambers now on Surfline. If you still Google it, it'll come. It'll stay like in the Google search. So they didn't do a very good job SEOing it. But when you go there to the to Surfline to check the wave, it just says chambers now. And same with the one in Puerto Rico, chambers.
2: Um, amazing. I wonder yeah. what what the decision was there.
1: Well, I would imagine the association of gas chambers with gassing Jewish people during World War II probably played in, but who
2: knows? I mean Are these obviously times? Obviously the gas chamber has um been used inappropriately in uh in world history, but isn't the gas chamber wasn't it a thing separate from just annihilating or uh um eradicating human beings? I mean or was uh, it strictly invented for that purpose?
1: I mean also eradicating stray cats, I think, and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Um I was always under the impression that gas chambers were gas chambers cuz it what it was like heavy and spat a lot, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know, I never even thought about it to be honest.
1: Yeah, but I guess a, a gas chamber I don't think. I mean, ostensibly a gas chamber would be a place where gas is gathered, but I think probably overall probably 90% of the usage is of gas. Now 98% is related to killing something. Yeah. And probably a good 90% of the association with that is with Auschwitz and whatnot.
2: Yeah. Okay. Now it all makes sense to me.
1: So, but it it made me wonder about uh, when, cause I don't know exactly when they changed it. I think it was fairly recent. Uh, I don't think it was related directly to the Israeli Hamas, uh, issue going on right now, the war. Um, But I was wondering, yeah, at what point did Surfline it, in a meeting say, hey, guys, ooh, uh, and on to our agenda next on the list is gas chambers, gas chambers, yeah. guys, like,
2: <laughs> well, okay. honestly, when you think about it in those terms, it seems like a no brainer to just quietly put the word gas aside. Um, But Chambers is a stupid name.
1: So like if you're going to change it, but it is, I mean, it made me, I didn't really get into it in the piece, in the think piece. I should have more, but it makes me think of all the potentially problematic wave names out there uh, and what you do with them. Right. I mean, we've dealt with this issue with like civil war monuments to Confederate soldiers or whatever. Right. And what do you do? Do you, you know, I think there is, I think both sides of that debate, have like have merit in their arguments right like people are saying how how in the world do we glorify you know people who committed atrocity on the other side this history is true to take away the monument doesn't you can't erase the history like and it's important to not you know go stalin-esque on our history i think we learn from the past and if we're gonna perpetually erase the bad stuff of our past then how do does anybody learn right i think is the back and forth uh getting to a thing like gas chambers though, what do you do? If a name, like, let's say a wave was named Jews or something, but that's what everybody called it for a long time. What do you do with that?
2: Or yeah, I mean that, that one specifically is, um, I don't know. That's not a perfect analogy just because it's an isolated, uh, group of people that is a specific group of people, but gas chambers is a thing that was used to kill people. So I guess there is an association with a specific race with the gas chamber, but like, if you just said, if their surf spot was named guillotines. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, like you would let that fly because a guillotine was used to kill, kill a lot people of people all races. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, totally. But I, I do like the idea of rebranding the gas chamber so that it loses its meaning. You know, like it does have a con, uh, um, tie together with the Holocaust. But at some point, if used broadly enough, it loses some of its vitriol.
1: Where I wonder, and here's the thing is I think the wave gas chambers is neither good enough nor well-known enough to be able to carry Like if pipeline was called gas chambers, then, uh, pipeline, I wonder if that has, if that's a big enough thing where the gas, a gas chamber, all of a sudden pipeline has enough weight, enough gravitas to, change the whole yeah association with the gas chamber
2: well yeah and i also think though um it's important like actually i kind of forgot my thought it'll probably come back to me
1: <laughs> i mean yeah it's just it was an interesting and i think what made me think it was interesting particularly is i read something from the i think it was a one of the heads of the pepperdine business school or one of the pepperdine schools i think they're a public policy school uh, was on. I can't remember what he was on, but anyways, talking about just civil discourse and how it's totally eroded and how, you know, with all the Harvard students getting doxxed for writing, you know, anti-Israeli or pl- a pledge or whatever the, all that was like for, there's no room even anymore in society. College campuses, I think, used to be a place where you could have a difference of opinion. You could debate that difference of opinion. You could learn from each other. And you, it's not about agreeing necessarily. It's just civil discourse. That's what civil discourse is. With civil discourse erasing, like being erased, it's more and more important. Like all the business leaders or whatever were saying, you know, I'm not going to hire a, you tell me who signed that thing and I'm not going to hire them. Like college should be a place where you're able to, I don't know, like play with ideas, right? And then figure out where the lines are. And then instead of having it mark what you did in college or thought in college or said in college, mark your entire you know rest of your life and also no ability to debate where i thought this gas chambers debate is a is a nice tidy one where we can hopefully sure. have a good talk about it
2: well i remember what my what i was going to say um the lot, thought that i lost was i think that the intention or the context matters and so when the people named the surf spot gas chambers if it was specifically named after the holocaust killing device then yes, that would be problematic. You know, it, it carries the history within its kind of DNA. But if it was named completely agnostic of that information, and just by what you said, which is, man, look at it, throat blows gas out or whatever, yeah, then I think it's that- It's a
1: chamber filled with gas.
2: Then it would be an injustice to rebrand it. Yeah. You know, and, it, and by the way, a misstep from Surfline in that case too, to not fully understand the history of the surf context in that scenario. Totally
1: but to to rebrand it chambers i think is
2: it's still I mean, a nod to the gas chambers.
1: totally like if you're going to rebrand it then i mean but again this is where i think the debate and the issue comes in is then what and people are still going to call it gas chambers right i don't think people are going to start calling that wave i mean i don't surf that wave so i don't know what people call it like if they call it chambers maybe they do right maybe who knows but it's a i thought a interesting small debate in a wildly polarized
2: time it's worth um writing an article about so it just gets cataloged in history
1: exactly doing the work well,
2: following up from last week's conversation shane dorian was down in mexico or tj getting tijuana i should say um getting stem cell treatment uh i said man i got to reach out to shane and uh you know, discuss this further, understand more about it, hear about his journey. And so I did, and he's, we've been in communication. We're going to get together in the next couple of weeks to record a podcast. Great. So you can look forward to that, but there has been other developments in that story in ways that we never would have imagined and tragically. So can you explain what developed after our last recording?
1: So Shane Dorian was down in, and I'm going to correct you here, David Lee scales, just like you got bashed for why, uh, maya, why maya. It is not tijuana it is tijuana thank you no extra a
2: and not tj i've been corrected as well
1: yeah because it's not two different words not tia juana and juana in any case uh yeah shane dorian was down there getting some stem cell therapy everybody was interested so shane opened up his basically his instagram was like i'm gonna take you on this journey with me well uh a surf personality like surf industry guy named Dozer Dave. What's the last name? Dozer Dave. I think it's Barnett. Barnett. Dozer Dave Barnett was down there with Shane, uh, and he had cataloged too. He was like, "I'm here in Tijuana with Shane." Where they were doing the same thing, or not exactly the same thing, but going uh, to the same facility to get the the stem cells. And Dozer Dave tragically died on I think the final night of the uh, whatever the the period of time was um, massive cardiac arrest and, uh, yeah, they couldn't revive him. And so Shane, like this, I thought as tragic as this whole thing was, uh, I thought it was a real study in people speaking directly to it and not trying to hide it or shield it or be weird about it. Like Shane took, so news comes out, right? Like, of course the they're in Mexico doing, progressive therapy. Now, there's going to be a lot of very easy to say, well, look at what you get, right? Like, I mean, there was plenty of people in the beach, get comments, and I'm sure people who'd have heard this story, that's a thought you have automatically, right? Well, now look at you, you thought you were all cool going down to Mexico to get, you know, something that's not FDA approved, basically. And somebody dies, hope you're happy, dummy, right? Which and I think that's an easy, understandably, or yeah, that's an understandable argument. Uh, and one that Shane really could have shied from, I think, and just said, ooh, I don't want to deal with this at all. And just gone dark, right? Like no more shut off the social medias. Nobody say nothing about nothing. But I thought... and
2: And by the way, be overwhelmed enough by the emotion of losing his lifelong, very right. good, if not best friend. And so not even address any of it and just be like, God, these comments are ugly. I'm not going to address this. I'm Precisely.
1: Yeah. We, he, and it would have been very much in Shane's like, and that's what, you know, the world surf like, that's what everybody, you know, like a problem happens, you head in sand, dark, lockdown, say nothing, say nothing. Uh, Shane addressed it beautifully and poignantly right away. He said without kicking Dozer Dave under the bus at all, he just said that he had underlying issues. Uh, he chose to do this. You know, we Shane shared the last night they spent together watching uh, whatever movie it was. Was uh, it The Hangover? Hangover, yeah. Watching yeah. The Hangover, laughing. It was all great, right? Shane did such a beautiful job, I think, of painting the end of his friend's life well. And then uh, Dave's uh, brother-in-law, I think, was reading the vitriol and the, you know, fingers pointing at Shane And so he came in directly to Beach Grit. Got it. Okay, that's and and said uh, on Beach Grit. He left it as a comment. I just turned it into a story. But uh, he commented directly Beach Grit and was like, "Hey, for those people finger pointing at Shane for taking his buddy down to Mexico and doing something sketchy," uh, he said. This, I think, brother in law was a doctor. Mm -hmm. Uh, and said dozer dave had a lot of underlying health issues that never got brought up and shane didn't bring him up either i thought that was brilliant of shane not to say you know this guy was severely unhealthy uh and brother-in-law basically said eh, dave was counseled heavily about the dangers here i you know i told him basically not to go but he's an adult and he you know was had these nagging injuries and basically This was an opportunity and it's very dangerous, but as an adult, he chose to do this and he tragically died, but it wasn't because of either the therapy, it wasn't anything like it was, you know, not that it could have happened anywhere at any time, but the sense I got that, you know, he did have some major issues. He was trying to fix those major issues, probably doing this and he died as an adult. He made a decision and I just thought the hole between Shane and brother-in-law not to infantilize dozer dave not to finger point at everyone not to like burn the house down i just thought as tragic as it was to lose you know brother-in-law and friend for shane i just thought they did both of those guys did a brilliant job it was like a master class in how to handle something like that
2: i totally agree and they also didn't fan the flames at all because there was people wanting to jump in on either side to just kind of, uh, like a, yeah, yeah, get the comments section lit up, and so it just lives on in its own kind of perpetual cycle. And I thought they did a good job of both being like, just what you said. It was perfect. It was like I got the information. I I am curious in this story and at how it develops. I got the information that I wanted as a bystander and I have no other opinions on it. And I also, you guys have kind of said it strongly enough to where I want to respect the, you know, or of this situation.
1: And I, I mean, I guess the theme of this show so far being civil discourse, I thought for those who are screaming, like you dummy, you idiot going down to Mexico to blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, what do you know, right? Like, and you who know are all of a sudden we as as humans, we've all, or as modern Americans, maybe even just uh, have gone so far into echo chamber bubble of my opinion is 100% right, 100% of the time. And I'm never wrong. I know everything I surround myself and you know, like who knows, like, we don't know, like, I know nothing about stem cell therapy. I, you right. know, I know, like, to think that the U.S. medical system is so excellent, like, Mexico's, like, all of the issues that people have where they are so damn certain of their opinion, I just think, well, you're, you know, have an opinion. It's totally great. But at what point can you not even hear another side disagree with them? But,
2: yeah,
1: I mean, it just... It, it just seems well, crazy to me that everybody is so dang certain of their 100% moral authority on everything. From I think war in Gaza, that's to, what we're
2: that's what yeah. we're feeling more this now this kind of week and last week than before is that everything is heightened because of the war. Um, and I, I felt that way coming off of last week's show because you and I addressed it a little bit the Hamas terror attack in Israel, right? Yeah. And it was before. Obviously, it's developed in the last week the war, but. The way that I felt after the fact, I probably didn't put it into words on that last week's show, but people did chime in on either sides about your and my discussion. The way that I felt was, I'm actually not, I don't know enough. I'm not arrogant enough to think that I know enough about that war, right? And nobody should be that arrogant because even the scholars don't know all the details and they weren't there when the first punch was thrown. You know what I mean? Like it goes so far back and people inevitably go eight steps back and go, Oh, but Israel did this or Palestine did that. And it's like, well, if you track the tit for tat eight steps, you're a million steps too short. You know, like even you thinking that that was an inciting factor shows your arrogance and your ignorance. Anyways, my point is the way I felt after last show is I am just sympathetic towards the loss of human life. I worded it last week in that I was sympathetic towards Israel, and I did brand it with a certain group of people. But the reality is, it doesn't matter to me if they're Israelis or Palestine, Palestinians, or any of it. I am sympathetic towards the loss of human life. You know what I mean? Like, it's unfortunate that we even, there's a baby who doesn't necessarily identify with a political group or even an uh, ethnic group an ethical um ethnic group it's a baby the baby doesn't know it didn't choose a side and the baby's life was lost that's who i sympathize with you know what i mean it becomes political if you say you sympathize with somebody who died who happened to have a political association then whoever hears you thinks that you're affiliating with that side no it's just people died that's what's sad about it.
1: And it's, I mean, it's absolutely gut wrenchingly devastating. It's like, you know, impossibly hard to not be moved, I think, by the whole thing. And I think it's important that people aren't so overwhelmed by it that they stop looking. I think this is a human tragedy at scale, but it's important to look at it It's important. You know, we as Americans, I think have the oftentimes more often than not have the luxury of being able to turn the news off because it's not happening to us today. There's not a, you know, rocket being fired at my house or, and, or a jet flying over and dropping a bomb on me. Like, you know, we're all good. We can turn it off and go outside. But I think it's, I think it is important to study and examine and to really feel what is happening over there. And I think it's okay to like the way this whole thing, like the weird, like I'm rooting for this team or this team, the way it's almost been gamified is, okay. is profoundly disturbing. Like I see and understand if you are more sympathetic to the Israeli uh what they're doing, right? That they're justified in what they're doing and this makes sense to me. We can have a debate about that. I understand that. Likewise, if you are more sympathetic toward the Palestinian side, where you're saying, you know, for this, that, and this reason, I think that. Like, but the debate has gone so cuckoo town where it's like, this is my team. Like, I'm gonna burn you. I'm going to shoot you in the head if you're not on my team. Like, and not, of course, I mean, really probably too in some cases, but uh, you know, on Twitter or on social media, I'm going to burn you down. Is like you are an anti-Semite. Or so weird. The use of anti like Palestinians are just Semites too. They're Semitic people. It's weird how anti-Semite only gets used what i guess that's usage it's used to be anti-jew now but in any case yeah that the weird polemic the then like i feel what i feel so strongly that what you feel means you need to burn in hell is Mm -hmm. wild to me
2: yeah it really is um back to the stem cells uh we did get i as we predicted we would get expert feedback um A listener with a PhD in bioengineering sent me an article from the University of Connecticut that stated, quote, gross, uh, or I'm sorry, grotesque side effects from unproven stem cell therapies are more common than we realized. This was a report from the researchers at UConn. And despite the dangers, many neurologists feel ill-equipped to warn and educate their patients, people who have suffered debilitating brain and spinal cord Core damage have been diagnosed, uh, or have been diagnosed with progressive neurolo- neurological diseases, are often frustrated by the lack of treatment available and help to them. This frustration can lead them to be easy targets for clinics that inject patients with stem cells. But most of these clinics are operating outside of the FDA's jurisdiction, and the treatments are unproven and pricey. So, because the treatments are So limited for what the FDA has approved and these people kind of turn to experimental treatments and that's how they find themselves in situations like this. But there's a reason why the FDA has not approved this stuff. Um, He sent me another article that was about Uh, warning about the potential long-term effects because there have been cases. They gave one uh, reference from a medical journal about a guy who was 38 years old with a benign tumor on his spinal cord that had been linked to an experimental stem cell treatment that he had received 12 years prior. So the science on all of this stuff is out. And I think you and I kind of flippantly stated last week, we're like, well, there's no real downside to it, right? Why not? Let's, let's see what happens with Shane. The reality is we'd have to check in with Shane 20 years down the road, you know?
1: But but like, also I feel Shane as an adult makes, is making informed decisions and is using different data. Right. I mean, I, I totally get the FDA is, is important in that, but they're not perfect. And the FDA, I think does all kinds of wacky stuff at times. Um, and, yeah, is weighing a lot of different factors and I'm not anti FDA by any means, but I'm also, I also think just because they say something doesn't mean that Shane was an idiot to go try this thing. Right. Like totally maybe Shane, like Shane and whoever there's, there's, I'm sure data and research also on the other side that, you know, presents whatever. I mean, that's the people thinking that science is definitive. To me, like that there is a yes and a no in science. There's no yes and no. There's no more yes and no in science than in philosophy or in, you know, anything. Like I think, I mean, there's, yes, you can prove certain things through experimentation. There, I guess there are yeses and nos in science, but not all science is a yes or no. And something like sem- stem cells, you could, uh, you know, somebody could study it for a long time and conclude X and somebody could study it for a long time and conclude Y with tons of research and data to back it up.
2: The yeses and no's, even if they become black and white and definitive, it often takes decades and decades and decades to become that crystal clear. And even in those examples, a hundred years later, the opposite is found to be true.
1: I mean, that's what I, I think the only tr- like real yeses and noes are like pretty simple. I feel like, yes, water freezes at 32 degrees or whatever, right? Like that is a fact. Uh, But I think those, any time there's like complex combinations of organisms being involved, uh, then yeah, exactly. Like time changes things. Yeah. Distance changes things. All kinds of stuff changes things.
2: Science can only account for so many variables and the variables will ultimately change it. And even that water freezing at 32, we might find in the future gets shifted because some environmental variable shifts you know and then you know i, I have no idea but I, I you, have to, water you have to you have to
1: doesn't freeze at 32 either I is bet. it
2: 32 or 36 i always get confused <laughs> i think it's 32 um,
1: scientists. i love our we should just have a we should have a science hour
2: we kind of <laughs> do every <week. laughs> uh well as we're We're on the topic of drugs. Uh, While we're on the topic of drugs, there have been two articles in the last month on Beach Grit, both penned by Derek Riley, about drugs in pro surfing. I kept one of them in my notes this past month just because it was very interesting. There's lots of fodder in the comments section, but I knew it would kind of come back into um, a show where it fit the theme a little bit broader. Um, both of these articles that I'm going to bring up, Derek pulled from podcast interviews. Has Derek become secretly a podcast listener? Which podcast were they? So both were pulled from the Quivercast hosted by Mike Steele. I doubt it. That doesn't sound like
1: Derek to me. That sounds okay. like somebody sent Derek a quote from a podcast.
2: Okay. Because when Derek ever these aren't the only two articles that he references podcasts. Some of his articles have been,
1: he might, he might be, I, I, it would surprise surprise me greatly.
2: Me too. I I mean, totally. And he'll pull something from like the 45 minute mark deep into the podcast. And it's like, it's, I, I, yeah, it, it could just be listeners or readers sending it to him.
1: My guess is it's, yeah, it is gifted to him, but I could be wrong.
2: Okay. Well, Shout out to the QuiverCast hosted by Mike Steele. He interviewed uh, in the last month Dustin Barca and Roy Powers. The first article from Dustin Barca, uh, the headline that Derek wrote is, quote, world's most feared surf gang, the Wolfpack destroyed by OxyContin, says former member. Uh, Another quote within the headline, they had a pharmacist living in the house giving them huge uh, prescriptions, exclamation point. And that's a quote from Dustin Barca. Basically, um, Barca said, they used to make me fight people on the beach. If somebody burned one of the boys... Uh, if somebody burned one of the boys, someone like Kyborg would tell me, you better go down there and pound that guy right now, or I'm going to pound you. I'd be like, fuck. Then I'd go down and smoke the guy on the beach or, or, um, wait for him to just come up. I don't know. That kind of doesn't make sense. Anyways, he'd fight the guy on the beach. The justification vacation uh, was simple if you drop in on somebody on a 10 foot wave it's like attempted murder that's where it is uh today it's a shit show where there's no authority out there it's just like anybody from anywhere can go out there paddle around the locals catch any wave of the day and nobody does anything about it what we did was we created a rule system it made everybody realize that there was some they were in somebody else's home and they should take off their shoes when they enter the home, end quote. Nice quote.
1: Nice quote, Dustin Barco.
2: Yeah, um, the article, obviously that quote right there was just about localism, but the article itself and the podcast, the portion of the podcast that Derek was quoting was about the op- opioid crisis and how it affected the uh, wolf pack itself, but kind of the North Shore in general, and opioids. And it was prescription medication. And Dustin said that the wolf pack actually collapsed when a quote large number of my friends got hooked on drugs and they had a pharmacist living in the house with them giving everybody huge subscription prescriptions of Oxycontin. it was a bad scene i never did drugs from the time i was a young kid because i saw friends who had almost died all of my friends who were either on Coke or whatever, they all started snorting Oxycontin and it turned everybody against each other. It turned the most solid friend group ever in surfing into a shit show, end quote.
1: Boom, damning.
2: Yeah, pretty, I mean, drugs are insidious, right? It's kind of interesting how, I mean, obviously with illicit drugs, it's one thing and the Oxycontin thing's a whole different thing, but very kind of parallel, uh, but it's just interesting, I think, what we're willing to trade for short-term thrills. Like, I guess when you're young, you don't have the benefit of kind of uh, life experience. And so you don't know what – it's hard to predict the future. It's hard to kind of see what the consequence will be down the road. But there are certain things that seem to have eternal beauty, uh, like surfing or friendship in their case, and – The drug amplifies the intensity of that experience initially, but also never quite allows you to access that base level of the simple beauty of it again. And it might be in your brain where it chemically alter resets what, you know, you need the intensity that you need for it to feel good again. And so you find yourself not enjoying what was once a simple beauty that brought endless joy. You can't enjoy anymore because you I mean, need yeah, that hit, you know.
1: I think, I think well stated in terms of it's not like all of a sudden you take an oxy and you turn the lights off. I've I've never done. I've taken Oxycontin before of you.
2: I I not not, not rec- for not recreationally. Yeah, but not I got,
1: for, I, for sh- shoulder surgery. I took it. I didn't like it at all.
2: Well, I had I don't know what it was that I took, but I had wisdom teeth removed 15 years ago, and they gave me something super powerful. Might have been oxy. I loved it.
1: Really? Were you? In? I mean.
2: I mean, I, I, thankfully, I don't think I have an addictive personality, but if I had access to more of them,
1: you would have gone, I, I,
2: I might've, have, have you know, chase I mean? the
1: rabbit. Uh, um, yeah. But the but the thought that all of a sudden, like, I'm sure for those early, you know, they tried their oxys, I'm sure. And it like, they went out and surfed the best pipe ever and then had the best time ever afterwards. And then, yeah. So that, sorry, that like gray area or that, uh, dusk where you're like, drug is best life and then it just takes over and then you're done
2: well i mean first it's fun then it's fun with a little bit of problems and then it's just problems right yeah yeah. and it's not even fun anymore and you're just doing it because like i said before like your brain's been reset but yeah you don't understand that until you have the benefit of hindsight unfortunately yeah. when you're in your 20s especially like you just don't have that predictive part of your brain that is or you don't have enough life experience that you can build upon and so it's scary to think that you kind of erode those mechanisms in your brain when you don't even know that you need them or that you have them
1: yeah i wonder uh Sons sans oxy uh how it would have aged and how like if if pipeline still would have like a semblance of order because of that group, or if inevitably they would have eroded. If it wasn't oxy, it would have been ego, or would have been, who knows what. And you know, things things break down. I think that the idea, and I like his quote about, you know, there's no order out there now, et cetera, et cetera. People always, and I'm all for. I'm pro localism, right? Like I think localism is a good thing, but it's not benevolent ever right like and people aren't but like people are selfish and mean often and so you know that's where localism i think yes it does protect order at some level but also like people are assholes and do bad things under the name and which i'm sure those wolf pack guys it was a combo right of like people getting pounded or people you know accidentally back paddling and not even knowing or whatever right but the thought that we are the locals so uh, it's you know, we are right 100% of the time, even when we're not. Uh, But all that to say, I think that's a better form than just the dang free, weird free for all that that waves have now. And especially she's exactly right waves of consequence, like it doesn't matter out at, I don't know, you know, seaside reef, if (laughs) there's no real order, just means that people aren't going to have as much fun or whatever, and you know, dumb or whatever. But, you know, at pipeline, we're dropping in, you can severely either injure or kill somebody.
2: Yeah. It's a life and death situation. Um I would far prefer having the order that comes with localism, even if it comes with bad actors in sure. the locals hierarchy than have the chaos that exists modern day.
1: Completely. Cause you know, with the with the like heavy localism, you know what it is. You know what it is. You know, even though that local's a jerk, like stay away from him, you know, this local, if I show respect and stuff, blah blah, then I can kind of do my thing. But you know your position. Like when there's that hierarchy, you know your position in it. And you also know how to climb it, I think, right? If you so yeah. want to. If you want to go out there and if you think I want to I'm Rick Kane. I want to go surf pipeline and be, that's what I want to do. I'm going to make it my life. You can come from anywhere in the country or could, I think, and work your way up to do it. Now, man, it's like winging a prayer, I would imagine. You just got to be out there and sending it with people, sending it right on top of your head.
2: Well, I think that I there is there less uh, injuries in the lineup with the local hierarchy thing, even though somebody would get punched in the face inevitably. Sometimes it was a woman by Johnny. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there were people losing teeth and there were fist fights and stuff like that, but it was a fewer incidents of injury than there is today. And the other problem is today, the injuries are liable to happen to John, John Florence or somebody yeah. like that, because there is a kook who's just ditching their board as they, cause they don't know how to duck dive.
1: Who was the, who was the dude who like duck dive couldn't, couldn't duck dive and was out of pipe and almost knocked somebody's head off.
2: It was last year, right? There was that kid yeah. who was like trying to start a vlog. Yeah. And yeah. Burned, that kid. He burned the goofy foot Hawaiian. I forget who the kid was that he burned or no, didn't burn, but ditched the duck board. Duck dive. While, and
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, but that's, that's like, that kid should not be allowed to surf. And I, like he did his jokey apology and then did something dumb, like that dumbass kid whoever he is, influencer should not be allowed out there, but there's nobody to keep him. There's no Dustin Barker anymore. There's no, you know, Hayward There's nothing, but kid, he can do something asinine and get chewed out in comments. It's like the worst beating he's going to cut.
2: The reason I also wanted to bring up those two drug articles. I've only brought up one so far, but it's just that the comment section is actually incredible on beach Crit. Um, and it's usually funny, almost always there is comedy that is kind of the common denominator among all the articles, but this particular two articles were incredible because there were stories from pharmaceutical sales reps, Yep. um, stories from surf industry insiders who kind of saw firsthand some of this drug use and, um, but the pharmaceutical sales reps too, it's like, they're like, man, you would not believe how many, oxy's I sold and even in the moment I kind of understood that it seemed uh unethical. Yeah. And you would see these doctors who also understood the ethical problems with it but they were earning a lot of money on it and maybe they didn't have the foresight of really understanding the effects that it would have on the patients. We now see that and there's books written about it and there's TV shows made about it and all that sort of stuff. Um And it the effects are devastating and far ranging. But man, I've made a lot, I made a ton of money on that, and I am ashamed of it 20 years later. I mean,
1: that's that's the thing, though, is back to the FDA, right? All of that had the halo of it was FDA approved. So the pharmaceutical rep, you could for sure think, I have a bad feeling about this. I have a bad feeling about the addictive quality of this thing, etc. But Hey man, I, I can't make the call. Doctor's doing it. Doctor's prescribing it. FDA said it's okay. Doctor saying FDA says this thing is great. So yeah. the government is backing this thing. So you know what? What am I going to do? It, it. It. Part of my job as a doctor, you know, is to I think part of the job of the modern doctor is to mitigate pain, and this is a great tool, you know. And then oh, you know, everybody, but yeah. Which again, to be rage filled that like you all of you should have known, you know no you should, like with smoking i think people probably could have maybe had a guess that smoke breathing smoke into your lungs is probably not like the best thing ever yeah. uh but in terms of taking a pill yes hindsight very 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 clear on it and it's yeah it's it's damning kind of uh, insidious how much worse humans are at making things than nature is like Coke and heroin are, you know, Coke's addictive and whatever, and heroin can kill you, et cetera, et cetera. But none of them are as bad as oxy. Like oxy is way, way worse than opium. Like uh, scientists take stuff and they just, yeah. I mean, humans have no off button. Like I'm just going to push to the max, which is why AI is going to kill us at the end, right? Or whatever. AI unleashed is going to be weird because we just can't stop. If we can do it, we will do it. Yeah. The
2: the insidious part of the, or the perfect storm of bad things with that Oxy example is that you can always pass like, oh, yeah. the doctor said it's okay. And the doctor goes, oh, but the FDA said it's okay. But secretly the FDA is also on the payroll of pharmaceutical companies. capitalist. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's like it with enough money involved, everybody can just kind of pass the buck. And then for the soccer mom who would never ever dream of doing an illicit drug because okay. it's quote wrong and it's breaking the rules, this one isn't breaking the rules anymore. Got it from her doctor. It's just such a a crazy moment in history. Um, well, and
1: the, and when the buck stops eventually, like the payment is not like whatever the Oxy family. What, what did they? Their payment was you know whatever historical I think in its in its amount, but it's not nearly. The value of the damage that the, they caused.
2: No, and it's not enough to even put them out of business. You know no. what I mean? Like yeah. they pay a small fine, essentially. Yeah. But they they're wealthier than almost yeah. anybody in history ever has been. Yeah. As a result, even though yeah. they paid the fine, so yeah. it's worth it for them. And like you said, it doesn't replace the lives that were lost. No. Devastation. Anyways, Roy Powers was the other article and the other interview from the Quivercast and. His story is a bit scarier, actually, because he talks about uh being a drug dealer while he was on tour and how unforgiving the underworld is. Um, quote, Hawaiian surf star jailed for one year reveals secret life as drug dealer while on tour. And the subheader that Derek included was really ominous in that there could still be consequences for Roy. Um even though he's long left that life, the fact that he's kind of bringing it to light now on the podcast, he says in the interview that there could still be consequences for him. So pretty scary stuff. Actually. Did you read the article?
1: I did. I was fascinated by it. And I mean, I was, uh, reporting. I was a surf journalist during Roy powers arc, right? I was in Hawaii a bunch during that time. I think I was writing for stab during that time, maybe surfing, whatever, but I was like there all around it. And hindsight it's it's odd to look back and see you know i had an inkling of of course being around there you had an inkling of who was partying stuff but it and you just assume they're partying uh but you don't i guess i didn't scratch much beyond that in terms of oh wait no roy powers is actually drug dealing
2: well yeah you you just think
1: oh he has access so he's providing but yeah
2: yeah. And that's what Roy said. I don't have the quote in front of me, but it was something to the effect of like, it's pervasive. It's everywhere. And if yeah. it's everywhere, that means there's systems in place for drugs to get to those places. And it's organized from elsewhere. And those people are very cutthroat. Not literally... having...
1: Yeah, no, you just assume, oh, I mean, that's, you know, I just thought drugs are everywhere. Everybody's got drugs and, and surfing. It was like a real druggy surfing time without thinking and you just think they're everywhere and then stop the thought, but yes, they're everywhere. Exactly. Like you said, they came from somewhere. Somebody's not just passing out party favors to for fun because they're, you know, the happy drug Lord from Sinaloa, like there's return on investment everywhere. There's exactly, like you said, there is channels and ways to both regulate that and to get it and to collect it and da da Yeah. We're With the, very, the very strict
2: boundary lines, what, too.
1: you know, For sure. And we, I think, you know, all the drug kingpin movies or TV shows or whatever, like that humanize all these, like, I would imagine that unless you're in that legit in that world, you'd have no idea what that feels like. Where Roy And through the tiny peek through Roy's eyes, it seemed unfor Yeah. There's, they don't have a moral. They don't care. Like you, you didn't bring me my money. I'll kill you. If I can't kill you, I'll kill your wife. Like, yeah. Then, I mean,
2: and it doesn't weird. matter if you didn't understand the rules when you no. got in it. This world doesn't have room for any of that. It yeah, is that's dollars how it and cents. Yeah. This is how it works. So pretty scary stuff, actually. And, um, I mean, honestly, all of it, including the other article with the opioid thing, it's like, I not going to take them. Like, I'm just not going to take them. If I get Oxy, if I have to have some surgery in the near future or in the future,
1: they don't, they don't give it anymore. You're, oh, you're free and clear. No, you'll get like, I'm better, but it's not like it's going to be over. There's going to be something that replaces Oxy in terms of, you know, like whatever it's not like, okay, we finally learned that pharmaceuticals can be really bad. So we are putting that genie right back in the bottle you know, we're just gonna do Tylenol. we're going back to Tylenol, everybody in Advil. And if you really have a you know bad problem, then we'll give you a Tylenol three or whatever, the one with what did Tylenol three have in it? Coding. Coding, yeah. You get some Tylenol with coding. That's the max. So we're done. We've learned our lesson. There's no lesson ever learned. There's gonna be something worse than oxy around
2: some band in the road. It's just a matter of what's the most profitable. Yeah. That's all that matters, right? So I was t- saying the comments section on Beach Creative, of course, is incredible. Well, it is funny, first and foremost. So here was gr- a great comment from Jordy's Pout. Quote, I got caught up in gang activity in my early 20s. It was a motorcycle gang when I got my first bike, a hefty 125cc. We used to head out after dark to buy takeaway curry and then bomb down the main road until we got to the neighboring suburb to eat it. We called ourselves the Gaylord's ultimately it was the curry that tore the gang apart we couldn't wait to get that sweet taste of tandoori chicken so we just sit and eat it at the takeaway joint <laughs> Really <funny>. so <laughs> stupid and just so funny when you're coming off the heat of like reading the article yeah. some of the sales reps comments and stuff and then you get to that you're just like oh my god oh
1: it's a it's a great community that beach crit
2: <laughs> it is um well we need lis- a listener needs advice, Chaz.
1: Great. Guess who's going to give it? <laughs> you. Us. Us.
0: Uh,
2: am I a longboarder? Oh. Hey, hey, David, I have a question that I want to direct at you and Chaz. It's a simple question. Am I a longboarder? I learned how to surf at the age of 13 in the early 2000s at the Huntington Beach Pier. I'm sure you can picture the scene longboard shorts, loud graphic tees, potato chip shortboards. My quiver consisted of just two thrusters, a squash tail, and a rounded pin. I never considered riding anything else. Fast forward to college in San Diego around 2006 to 2010. My regular spots became Sunset Cliffs, OB, Wind & Sea. My potato chip surfboards weren't going to cut it. I got my first fish at Mitch's in 2007, and I never looked back. Since then, my boards have always been modeled around the idea of catching as many waves as possible and going as fast as I can. With maturity, though, I've accepted the reality that I'm never going to surf like my heroes, Andy, Sonny, Kelly, Bruce, but my boards still never breached the six-foot mark until 2012 to 2016 era. A friend of mine was moving inland and selling a few of his boards, one being a nine-six classic Hobie log. I'd never longboarded before that point, but without much thought, I figured, why not? The thing mostly sat in my garage for the first couple of years, only taking it out when it was brutally flat until 2008, when I was forced to surf old man's for a friend's birthday, and a log was the only reasonable choice. My life has not been the same since. I had a blast since that day. I'm actually looking for waves to longboard. While years ago, I would only take the log out on very desperate days. Now I'm considering it in my everyday rotation. Truthfully, I probably still ride a shorter board 80% of the time, but longboarding went from 0% to 20% in a short period and is still trending upward. Now, jump to last weekend. I entered the local club contest in the longboard division. I got smoked having no business actually competing on a longboard, but I realized longboarding is where uh, my actual interest lies now. The WSL shortboard division has completely lost my interest. I used to be the kind of person that would never miss a heat. Now I watch maybe one or two heats per contest, maybe. And I couldn't care less about who's qualifying this year. But what I did actually enjoy watching was the Mexi Log Fest, the El Salvador longboard comp and the finals day for longboarding in Malibu. What has happened to me? I'm trying to be optimistic and just think that I'm not actually that good at longboarding. I'm just tapping into a 13-year-old self, just stoked, excited to have a new feeling under my foot, doing everything that I can to get better. However, the pessimist in me thinks that maybe I've just entered the old man phase and I'm actually giving up on my original goal to surf like Bruce and Andy. Let me know what you guys think about this. I feel like I'm at a crossroads and I need your advice. Should I go heavy down this road, get a second log, maybe a proper nose rider? Or should I have a long look in the mirror and remind myself to stay in my lane and that I'm always going to be a lifelong, lower intermediate, short border Work, Nathan R.
1: Nathan R., guess what? I have advice for you. David Lee, this is a great quandary that I... Not with longboarding, but with my personal struggle is mid-lengthing. Yep. Uh and so I understand Nathan R's struggle, and here's what I've concluded: uh, we brand ourselves as this or that in surfing. In reality, we are surfers. Now, it could be debated that longboarding is not surfing. I would allow for that argument to be made that that is no form of surfing, because I will definitely say that supping is not surfing right that yeah. is not surfing if you ride a sup, you are not surfing you are supping that is a wave riding thing but you are doing what people in outrigger canoes do and other things that is also not surfing riding a wave is not surfing now i would be open to the debate that longboarding is also not surfing except let's not go there i think we have to include it because historically it was surfing it was in fact the only surfing okay now that that's out of the way Uh, So then we brand ourselves in surfing by what we ride. I'm going to say in a very Zen-like way here, David Lee, we are always in flux, in transition, kind of back and forth across boards. I don't personally longboard, have no interest in it, don't want to get one, hate it. I'm also not good at longboarding. When I take off on a longboard, all I do is like kind of a turn and go straight. I can't Cross step. I can't do what you do on a longboard. If Nathan R can do that stuff, like if he's cross stepping up to the nose and hanging five and then cross stepping back and doing that drop knee, blah, blah, turn and whatnot, uh, then I'm going to say, yes, right now, Nathan R, you are a longboarder. But to freeze there and say, no, okay, this is just, I'm accepting it. This is what I am. So I'm not going to shortboard. That's the hard. You do have to look yourself in the mirror and say, I got to get back to, I got to pull that fish out or I got to pull a shortboard out again. On my, I was surfing three days ago uh, out on my high performance CI Pro, phenomenal board. But also the CI Pro is not user-friendly. That's what makes it good, right? The learning curve on it. So so I I had one wave that might've been, I mean, well below average, but I could have... I, I surfed, in air quotes, that wave. Uh, I blew the takeoff on the other two, uh, and it was frustrating. But I felt, okay, I'm, I'm as frustrated as I am. I'm doing something. The other day, yesterday, or two days ago, I took the mid out. I was stinking Jerry Lopez, regular foot Jerry Lopez, knifing. I knifed in to, like, felt to me like it was a good two and a half feet overhead, but likely it was at my nipple. Uh, but just knifed the takeoff, a nice little, you know, ooh, like I was I was ripping my mid, ripping in air quotes, felt so good. But I think if I pause there and said, nope, okay, I'm only riding my mid because I surf it better than I surf my, clearly I surf it better. It's 6'10", it's got a lot of volume, blah, 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 blah. But no, my duty still is to fight against that dying light and take out that CI pro and try to rip and or try to surf, right? Yeah. That's our duty yeah. is not to get stuck somewhere, but to stay in motion along the spectrum.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. The answer to the question, am I a longboarder? The answer is no.
1: Yeah, you're not Forget a about
2: those labels. The fact that you were raised in Huntington Beach in the way that you described it, means that you were born or you came in with that parameter in your brain. And like you had these categories, but the reality is you never should have. And so you're just a surfer, as Chaz said, and you have different tools for different days of the week. And one of those tools is a longboard and at old man's, that's the right tool. And it is super fun because there's not a lot that can go wrong. You know, like low stakes, man, it's low stakes and it's super fun. And, and like, if, you, you don't even have to
1: worry about people dropping. You don't have to worry about getting your waves. Like, you can happily you know, longboard alongside five others, which is part 100%. of the dream
2: part of it. It's easy to be decent at. It's, yeah. not, it's not easy to be great at, but it's easy to be decent at. So, yeah, with shortboards, your session and your day can be ruined if you are cooking it because you're not going to get the waves that you want because it's super competitive to get waves on a shortboard. There's people vying for a very small kind of takeoff zone. And then you're very, if you're cooking it, you're also not going to complete a ride. So even if you get to your feet, maybe do one turn, you're not going to do the three turns to complete the ride. And so it built into all of that is an anxiety that comes with the expectation, and then also the depression of not meeting the expectation. Longboarding, you complete ninety percent plus of all of your rides, you know, <laughs> and you get almost any wave you want. And in order the that you don't complete, you have to be cooking it pretty freaking hard. I mean, you have to be, you
1: have to be a cook to cook longboarding. You actually have to be a cook.
2: Yeah, exactly. So it's pretty freaking fun and you do. So you get a lot of waves and you do get to go really fast and you feel that glide. That is ultimately what's fun when you're riding on the back of a shopping cart at target, you know, back to your car. So I, I watched yesterday, I pulled up Instagram and Cassie Amador had posted this clip and it was, you know, as her, all of her clips are, it's like positive vibes and fun. And I guess she's on a retreat right now. And so it's a group of girls and they're longboarding some easy, easy wave, some easy right point break. And the girls like took off it was like a party wave. And some of them are laying down. One of them, I think is doing the cockroach pose. Somebody's on their knees, you know, and they're all just like, just Beautiful. swooping, having a fun time. And I was like, man, that looks so fun. And then I'm like, man, if I go on a surf trip, it's like timed for a swell or for a season where there is swell. And then there's this heart thumping anxiety when you wake up in the morning, like what are the waves? Is the swell filling in? And then you're looking at it and you're all hyped up and you're getting freaked out off coffee. And then you're like, which board do I ride? And is it the right board and which fins? And all of that anxiety, and then I thought about her on her trip, where it's like, no, the waves are going to be knee high, and we're logging. So you just—it's man, that sounds really nice, actually. That sounds fun. Roll out of bed, no anxiety. You know what we're going to do today? We're going to have fun all day, every day, and the so water's warm, and we're all partying on a wave. Except, are we toddlers, David Lee? Scales? I know, I know. But,
1: I mean, this is the thing. And Cassia Meter, me—is it Miador? Who knows?
2: I get Y M A wrong.
1: Cassia Meter uh she's having a toddler's amount of fun and that's great like i'm happy for you and your toddler friends to go have baby fun to look at different colors and be like colors to (laughs) taste a little sugar and say sugar yum that's what longboarding is essentially longboarding is dummy fun right it really is i want to have sophisticated fun david lee scales i want a night at the ballet or I want to eat a fine foie gras and chase it with a peaty whiskey, even though I hate peaty whiskeys. But I feel that's Sa- probably
2: sauternes is the appropriate pairing there. Yeah.
1: Okay. There we go. Thank you. Uh, that I think is what we're aiming for. And if we give them up on that, if we say I want to just go get Happy Meal McDonald's every day, that's what the long border essentially has decided to do the person who's committed to the longboard life, where I think with variation though, and even if say you go to the orchestra and you don't understand, it sounds like noise to you and you have an awful time. You were trying to do something that was bigger and better than making mud castles.
2: See, you're putting it in really stark terms (laughs) back to like you're entirely right or you're entirely wrong. I'm claiming different tools for different days of the week that's so true but you, but you do want the fancy night out having the foie gras going to the ballet you
1: also do want mcdonald's
2: you the next day you want mcdonald's and the housewives on tv or whatever i,
1: I hear that i hear that i'm just saying though like if you commit though if you're like i'm only longboarding then that's you have the problem is then you made a problem then that's... you have stunted yourself into stupidity yeah so Jewel Tudor, i'm looking at
2: you well, there's the, so there is a sophisticated version of that as well. There, you know, McDonald's is the, uh, cockroach stance on the longboard, laying on your back and just kicking your legs. But there's a version of a hamburger that is sophisticated where you are now nose riding, trimming through the section and nose riding. that really, I mean, that, that tickles all the same sensory things that you're talking about that maybe a big top turn does you know, off a short, on a shortboard.
1: Could be. Yes. And, and I think, yeah, like if you are really committed to the longboard life, but even I would have to think that Devin Howard, himself, world champion, longboarder Did Devin ever win a championship. No. Did he he ever win an event even?
2: I'm sure he won events. I mean, I, I mean, for the longest time that I've known Devin, he's not competed, but I'm sure in his youth he did and went. Yeah.
1: Event winning longboard Devin (laughs) Howard.
2: Uh, Art-winning general surfer, Devin Howard.
1: uh, Surfs mid-lengths, and I'm sure Dev surfs, gets on a fish, and I'm sure at some point, you don't think Dev has ever snuck out on a CI pro?
2: No. You don't don't think so? In his whole life? I mean, maybe a fish back in the day. But but you don't think Devin
1: Howard has ever ridden a high-performance shortboard?
2: Yeah, maybe one time he's tried it. It's been decades since he really? that. Yeah, yeah we're mean, gonna have
1: to get Dev to weigh in here, but I know I'm uh,
2: curious too, though.
1: I bet Dev sneakily, when the you know Dev is mostly, I would imagine looking for waves that, you know, are long boardable or mid lengthable or whatever. And the you know, I mean, what you could almost argue Rincon. What's the best board for Rincon?
2: Idea. I do argue. I mean, I would argue a fish.
1: Yeah, I mean. Th- yeah, that argument. And so Devin is probably thinking, I don't want to blow, you know, Devin Howard is not surfing D street where right. the only tool really is a shortboard. there. If you got anything else, you're being silly.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, I do want to get this information from Devin though. I think everybody would love to hear this. Yeah. And I think that he could, obviously he could ride any of those things. Um, yeah, I just think you're right. Maybe he's not surfing like super high-performance shortboard waves. As yeah, that's not above.
1: the waves he's looking to surf. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. Uh, this kind of very much related question came in uh, right after the boardroom show from a listener who I actually met at the boardroom show.
3: Hello there. Uh, this is uh, Ren Volpe from Oceanside again. I'm calling about, this could be Cook or Curran, uh, I guess. Uh, it's regarding this article that came out on Inertia, I believe it's today, saying that surfers over over 40 should all be riding boards at least in the mid-six-foot range since uh, apparently we don't have the fitness or no longer the strength or ability and blah, blah, blah. There are always exceptions to the rule. And even in the article, the Michael Areno who just won the shape-off at of the board show, is actually being quoted uh in the article many times talking about it so since i'm late 30s i assume you guys are probably like in that age range and i'm approaching it fast would love to hear about those statements and also like what do you guys usually ride because you don't talk too much about that all right that's it for me from motionside cheers
2: well we did just talk about what we ride but um This article was, like he said, published on the inertia, and it was actually written by none other than Sam George. The article was entitled
1: (laughs) "Sam, this thing." When did it come out? Gen C Um, just sent it to me. To be fair, I can't believe I didn't see this
2: two weeks ago. It came out. The article is entitled "Quote: Over forty, your short board is too short." So, from Sam George.
1: Anything that comes from Sam George is asinine to begin with. So you could already write it off straight out of the gate, one hundred percent.
2: Also, with him, certainly, and with the inertia in general, is this conversation eight years old? Yeah. You know what I mean? I <laughs> like mean, this is so far behind trend.
1: It's and it's so dumb. And, and like to to base it off links too, like yeah,
0: exactly.
1: it is, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's an eight-year-ago conversation to think my board is based, the only statistic I look at is how long it is a exactly. a like six are you writing a six three or a five eleven man?
2: Well, when uh the inertia published or advert- promoted the article on Instagram, Chris Cote commented, quote, "My boards are shorter and better than they've ever been, and I'm forty seven and I'm also surfing than I ever have been. End yeah. Quote. Yeah. and I think that that's related to what you're saying is maybe they are shorter, but
1: they're more volume. Sure. And and or, and or they're not. And Chris Cote has, you know, got on a fitness program and is, you know, working out more like who knows. There's way too many variables to make. I mean, Sam George, again, he's without Eric Logan anymore. We've lost Eric rip as surfing's great clown. And I'm so glad that Sam George has found the inertia and taken the mantle of surfing's number one, silly goose, like (laughs) totally with logan i always got the feeling that eric logan was semi self-aware that he was being just a dumb shit and couldn't help it but also kind of knew it like sam george and his buddha-like aura where sam george thinks that sam george is the preeminent dot 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 right and i've heard this from many people also who spend time with sam george he's like yes sam george that veneer is really truly what he thinks about himself he thinks he is the big kahuna uh
2: which is hilarious he's taking cues from last week's show which is fake it till you make it
1: yeah fake fake it till you and and make it till you make it
2: uh he believes he is the big kahuna and therefore he is
1: he is the big kahuna but in any case what a dumb I mean it's just dumb it's dumb and to our wonderful callers point like it depends on how sure like getting older there is decline, physical decline, I guess. Uh, But it's not like overnight. And I think a lot, I think it's more injury-based probably is what hinders more is the older you are, the more lifetime you've had to get injured. And it's those kind of nagging injuries, I think, that really slow you down a bit. But then you just choose, you know, it hasn't, yeah. I mean, Sam George is so asinine, it's hard to even discuss seriously.
2: I, you know, I did think about it when this call came, in about what am I writing? And the reality is, it's almost all under six feet. Yeah, and I'm I'm forty two now, uh, but I'm not as fit as I once was. I'm my reaction time is not as sharp as it once was because I don't surf as often as I once did. But they're still under six feet. I haven't completely given up, and I'm just riding a log just to have fun. And I'm still riding. Shorter boards that have volume, but they're still, quote, performance boards,
1: you know? And I, I think so much of it also, though, pert- or yeah, could continue, sorry, to catch you off.
2: Well, it, there's room for the mid-length for me that I think fills the gap between the shorter alternative performance boards and the longboard. Longboard goes straight, shortboards maneuver. The mid-length gives you kind of the... the uh comfort that a longboard gives you, you know, there's a lot more room for error. If you let's say you haven't been surfing for a month, you could take out a mid length and you're like slow to your feet. It's forgiving. It's fine. It tracks. So it goes fast, but it also has enough maneuverability to where you're not going to go vert with it, but you can still bank off a lip with it. You could still redirect it on a cutback. You could bank off the whitewash stuff like that. So it's kind of the perfect in between.
1: And I think so much of it depends on where you're surfing too, right? Again, like if you're surfing some, I think when you're younger, maybe you could surf a burger uh, or when you're surfing a bunch and younger, you could surf like a burger on a shortboard and be okay. Uh, I think that gets harder, especially with the crowds of today. Yeah. Like it's hard to compete for waves on a burger. So if you're serving a burger, you know, volume up man. like, it, like it, that will Help you. Like, that's what those waves demand. But if you're yeah. on a, if you're on some punchy, you know, shore break, you don't need volume. Like, you're no. all fine and good,
2: Sam yeah. George. So, volume up would be the answer to the question from Renz or the response to Sam George's article, but not necessarily uh, length up or height up.
1: Definitely. But, an, and also, don't volume up if you're surfing some real, you know, peaky beach breaky kind of thing you don't need like some wave that's going to chuck you in like you got to get your reaction up but if you still want to surf that wave you don't need you don't need anything you need exactly a high performance shortboard a ci
2: pro the funny thing is about saying this article is eight years past it's uh when it should have been published when we were younger or even you know pre-covid surfers who were getting into surfing were riding potato chip thrusters as our original longboard question came in with, you know, so Sam's advice would have been good to them back then, which is, man, you got in on the wrong board. So you need to scale up, but everybody who's come into surfing the last five years started on a soft top. Yeah. And so they're writing boards that have the length and the volume and the advice shouldn't be to level up. up. They're already there. If Sam yeah. was actually paying attention the last five years, they're already there. You especially,
1: know? especially the inertia reader. Exactly. Yeah. Or, so or, if and, anything. And, and the person who's going to take Sam George seriously.
2: Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, How are you doing on time today? I'm good. Okay, good. Then let's do true grit or click stuff. Uh Quote, San Clemente accused of force marching homeless out of town ahead of the World Surf League finals day. End quote.
1: It's true, David Lee Scales. They did. It just happened to be three homeless people, I think, that got mm. force marched and when i was reading the story it was uh in a i think the oc something it's some Register? oc no it wasn't the Ridge. nope it was like a i think progressive kind of keeping the blog thing oh the oc voice of the oc or something like that in any okay. case uh it was a long long it's one of those ones where like activist kind of people seem like they have endless time and so actually go to all the city hall debates uh Interview everyone involved. It was like a felt like a ten thousand word piece on these five homeless people getting moved or four, or whatever it was. Uh, and so, and it's all true. San Clemente did they bust them to Dana Point, uh where they gave them a hotel room for the night, the night before finals day, and I think that's where everything in the article goes murky in terms of all the thousands of it you can anyone can feel free to dig into all of it. But it was like, they weren't, uh, then they were just left there. They got one night of a hotel room and there was no way for them to come back to their stuff. There was no way, there was no food. There was nothing, right? They were just stuck now in Dana Point. So I guess on one side, people would say, well, these homeless guys got a uh, hotel room for the night. It's kind of cool. And on the other side, yeah, but they're far away and they left all their, you know, whatever. They left all their stuff in San Clemente, but all for the world surf. Like, who knew the funny part of the story is, World Surf League with its progressive bona fides, it's the greenest, the most equal, the, you know, like the World Surf League has really staked, gone out of its way. Nobody asked it to do this. Nobody said, hey, what we want you to do is be progressive and liberally progressive in every single way. World Surf League has gone out of their way to be this. And so when, or to present this way, and so when things like this happen, to just throw egg in their you know progressive face it's always funny to me yeah it is who
2: knew he would have to whitewash San Clemente yeah I, I mean, thought who... he was already completely washed
1: I'm getting the feeling because they were like on the trail it was like that people wouldn't have to see him going to yeah so I think they're probably I'm, I'm assuming it's like in that parking lot by, yeah. uh, by or on that fence by the parking lot by the Carl's Jr there on the path to And but yeah, it was like four or five of them. But yeah, dumb world surf league though. Again, to me, it just makes them more mockable. Of like them pandering to, we are socially progressive. We are the lead. lead. This is what we are. And then these things that like they're so incompetent that these things happen to them.
2: Yeah. Uh, So true grit then. True grit. people got moved. Article number two. Quote: Nicholas Cage bunks with surfing's perpetual bridesmaid, Taj Burrow, while in Western Australia filming The Surfer. Sort of
1: true, David Lee Scales. He is living... uh, The article was paywalled, so I couldn't actually read it. Mm. Though the headline did say that he was staying in Taj Burrow's house. So I don't know if Taj Burrow is actually there bunking with him, but I would imagine that if Nicolas Cage is staying in one of your properties, that he would swing by and visit, and one thing may lead to another and you may end up spending the night together. Not in that way, David Lee scales, but just in separate rooms.
3: I'm not ah, the judging.
2: Couch. They can do whatever they want. Once they're in the <laughs> house. Um, what is, do you have any idea what the movie is? The surfer? Yeah, the, the
1: surfer. Yeah. It but what is, is
2: who's involved with it or what's the storyline or anything? like uh, that?
1: I don't know. The director, the storyline is it's like some guy, American guy who goes back to Australia and like confronts a gang of surf toughs and, You know, then it devolves somehow. It's like a Surf Rage movie or something, but it's a, it's keeps being billed as a psychological thriller. So I don't know exactly how, how it's going to be a psychological thriller if one of the guys, yeah, I don't know how it's psychological in any way, shape, or form, but that's what it's called or that's being dubbed a psychological thriller.
2: Um, Nicolas Cage's movies, when you just read the synopsis or even see the pitch, you're like, it looks ridiculous yeah but then they're really really good you know like he he really does go for like outside of the box kind of what it may be in the wrong director's hands would become the cheesiest movie ever like Ren, did you see renfeld recently where he's the vampire no is it good oh my gosh it's so good with nicholas holt oh i i love nicholas holt okay man you would love it it is very boy nicholas holt it's campy but it's it's very good
1: love nicholas um,
2: and then there was a movie a couple of years ago called mandy which was a horror film where he tries to kill the devil that's that one too incredible like they're kind of flying under the radar or i told you the other one um a year ago maybe about the unbearable yeah. weight of being or whatever yes. that movie is called which again is just like such a weird the concept was super meta it was like Nicolas Cage playing Nicolas Cage who gets invited by a drug lord in Colombia to just make a personal appearance at a party and he's so it, that's the premise of the movie and it just goes it becomes amazing
1: and, and and exactly to your point I feel that Nicolas Cage for me got his start in uh, Raising Arizona so yeah. like a quirky off offbeat movie that was perfect and then he became the Con Air, Nicolas Cage, and that's who, that's how I think people see Nicolas Cage, which I didn't mind. Con Air was he in Armageddon too?
2: I have no idea. I don't think any, so.
1: Any of those Con Air, any of his blockbusters that I saw, they were like what they were, right? They were fun, campy, you know, blockbusters, Hollywood blockbusters. But I feel Nicolas Cage truly is like an indie actor who just accidentally did so. All to that. Uh, I have no doubt that The Surfer will be a great movie. Me too. Or at least an interesting movie.
2: Yeah. I'm a I'm a big fan. Yeah. Can't imagine cage. I can't imagine any celebrity that I would actually rather have stay in my house.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Is the the Taj, uh, like if he's not visiting Nicolas Cage, Taj, get get ye to Nicolas Cage's or your house where Nicolas Cage is staying.
2: Yeah. And that was kind of like the premise in that the unbearable burden of massive talent, I think was the name of that film Um, was he shows up in the guy's house. Right. And Pedro Pascal's house. He's the other actor and um, Luke Shepardson. Exactly. And you don't know what to even expect from Nicholas cage. Like, it could be, you know, that he gets super drunk and makes a fool of himself, or it could be an intellectual conversation, or it could just be this big art buff. Like you have no idea what you're going to get from him. And that's where it would be amazing to have him stay with you.
1: You should try to get Taj on the uh, podcast and see see uh, if Taj got to have an experience with the unbearable weight of incredible talent.
2: Yeah, exactly. Give us the insights. What's it like hanging with Cage? Yeah, Taj. Yeah, You owe it. Um. Well... Let's take a quick little break so that we can hear from how amazing LinkedIn.com slash surf is at helping you find your next job or hire your next person. And uh, then we'll be back with a pros in the wild and a barrel or not. free. That's linkedinjobs.com/surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, chas Smith pros in the wild returns. Everybody is so happy.
1: I'm you know, so this, happy.
2: This is a quick one, but um uh, let's ease back into Pros in the Wild and then feel free next week. If you have your own story, please write it in surfsplender at gmail.com or call it into the listener line. Um, I had a couple of people asking where they submit it and then they didn't submit it this week. So hopefully hmm. more will come through in the next please. week. But the, the listener line number is 1760 237 0150. You can also find it at Surf splendor. Uh, podcast.com and this story quote not sure if this is a prose in the wild story but I was just out back here in Victoria Australia on a beautiful Saturday afternoon listening to the podcast and having a few beers the story begins I was living in Kahala with a good friend back in the 80s when you didn't have the power to find out everything in the world in the palm of your hand in three seconds we lived 50 yards from the beach and had a tight group of neighbors that we hung with. One such neighbor was a guy named Joe. He owned a restaurant. He'd come by with his family. Nice guy. One day we paddled out at Diamond Head and every local out there was throwing loose shakas and saying hello. Later that day, I asked my neighbor, who the F is this Joe friend of ours? My friend was baffled at my question. He, and he says, his last name's Cabell, Joey Cabell. Duh, looking back in hindsight, he was, I was uh, probably happy that I had no idea who he actually was. So that's just a quick story, but I've got a pop quiz for you, yes. Chaz. What restaurant chain did Joey Cabell co-found? Oh, A, Chart House, B, Dukes, or C, Islands? I think it's the Chart House. It is the charthouse
1: yeah it's really funny i think last time i was i was talking about i mean if sam george wants to talk about getting older and doing something i'll tell you what getting older and doing is going to the stinking charthouse going to the charthouse getting a prime rib with extra uh horseradish not the cream one either if you want to do that you can do that but also get the fresh grated horseradish oh, yeah get a dirty martini Mm. And bone appetit, like an old person.
2: Uh, I'll clue you in too. Sushi. Do you ever get the raw wasabi?
1: Oh yeah, of course. Raw like wasabi not, is so good. Like real yeah. wasabi, not the hey. fake green stuff.
2: Not the paste. Yeah, but the actual real wasabi. wasabi. If you're if so you're good.
1: at a Japanese restaurant, yeah, that has real wasabi. Yeah, do yourself a favor.
2: Yeah. Well, for listeners who are new to surfing, which I think there's probably a lot of listeners now who have never heard the name Joey Cabell, they didn't have the benefit of getting surf mags every month to teach you the ways of our elders. I encourage you to get a subscription to the Encyclopedia of Surfing. There, you will learn that Joey Cabell was, quote, cool-handed regular footer from Honolulu, Hawaii, arguably the finest all round surfer of the 60s, and certainly the decade's best international competitor co-founder of the chart house restaurant chain.
1: Boom. Thank you, Mr. Matt Borshaw, for your service.
2: Where else would you get insights like this? I mean maybe they're dispersed across the web in various portals holes, but honestly I doubt that they all are. No, and I'll Um, tell you,
1: I'll tell you this. I mean not only with when you subscribe to the Encyclopedia of Serving, I'm assuming you're getting the newsletter and all that, you know, and that's all great. Like Matt's evolved, evolving writing like Matt is an artist in his prime and the whole encyclopedia of surfing, I think, and the history of surfing exists as like, it's all really good. Like it's fun just to click it open and start going down different rabbit trails of like, search somebody's name, read it, find a spot, read about that, find like it's an, it's endless fun and it's not just like a, oh, it's a, a resource that to find information. It is a journey to go on that encyclopedia of surfing
2: entertaining and it's valuable to understand surf history you know yeah. and it gives you a deeper appreciation for it but i'm going to read more quote cabell and his partner buzzy bent opened the first chart house steak and seafood restaurant in 1962 in aspen colorado Ooh. and it was an instant success branches soon appeared in redondo beach newport beach honolulu Cabell created the chart house ambiance, selecting the menu items, designing the wood paneled decor and dressing the staff in highly, I'm sorry, brightly colored Aloha shirts. The chart house became a kind of surfing institution as two generations of Californian and Hawaiian surfers took jobs there as waiters or bartenders so as to free up daylight hours for surfing. A sequence of Redondo breakwater in John Severson's 1970 surf movie Pacific Vibrations is shot from the low-lit interior of the beachfront Redondo chart house. Cabell sold his interest in the chain, but retained ownership of the Honolulu chart house in the early 70s. Cabell's interest in the restaurant business faded in part because of his involvement with the late 1960s shortboard revolution, as boards were transformed from bulky 10 footers to sleek seven footers in 1968 at the relatively advanced age of 30 Cabell became one of the shortboard movements key figures putting forth his quote speed surfing theory wherein the rider rides in a crouch with his feet and knees tucked together seeking out the fastest line across the wave
1: that's something i can do i feel i can aspire to surfing
2: fast yes I agree. If you go low, crouch, and you're riding a seven-foot board, I think Joey Cabell figured it out in the 70s, in late 60s, I guess. Uh, You want another pop quiz? Yes, please. Which professional surfer did Joey Cabell's daughter, his oldest daughter, Raina, go on to marry? A, Poncho Sullivan, B, Sonny Garcia, or C, Kaipo Akias? I'm going to go with A. Poncho. Poncho Sullivan? Yeah. Incorrect. Oh. You get another shot. Hypo? Incorrect. B, Sonny, Sonny Garcia. Garcia's first wife, Reina Garcia, were married for two years. Wow. Well, that is a, I mean, my goodness.
1: That was just a treasure trove right there.
2: I mean, that's why we love him, right? This yeah. Encyclopedia of Surfing, EOS.surf. So, Tons of Joey Cabell info there. Probably Sonny Garcia info. Yeah, a lot of it. A lot of listeners probably don't know Poncho Sullivan or Kaipo Akitas <laughs> either. So maybe Get them they of entries too. Get them all. Yeah, you're missing out, to be honest. It was the yeah. glory days of uh power surfing that
1: era. Power on Poncho, man. I remember those. Was Poncho on Bushman? Yeah. 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 Just uh, like I can really picture Poncho at sunset on a Bushman just like giving her.
2: I know that that open face front side layback carve. Yeah, yeah. Is like iconic. Yeah. You know, he was on tour for a year too. Yeah. I remember that. Um, all right. Well, moving on, barrel and nah, aw. We have Halloween themed barrel and nah awe this week in preparation. Exciting. It's
1: always I feel these barrel and aws for Halloween are almost tools to live by.
2: Mm. They largely are. Uh, and some of these we might've covered in the past, but these came from a listener or the first two came from a listener and I feel obligated to, uh, give him his due. Number one comes with a paragraph. So sit tight. Number one, family themed Halloween costumes, barrel or not. My wife has been trying for years to get us and our kids to coordinate our Halloween costumes. One year she wanted us all to be 101 Dalmatians. Another year she wanted downtown, a Downton Abbey theme. I've never given in and thus far has avoided the shame and embarrassment. This year, however, our kids independently all wanted to be different characters from Super Mario. When I saw the excitement, then I saw the excitement in their eyes when my wife suggested that she and I join in on the fun. I relented. As I write this, I'm staring at the the Luigi hat, fake mustache, and white gloves that I ordered sitting on my desk, making an effort to accept uh, my fate. Did I make the right move here in an effort to appease my wife and give my kids a happy memory, or have I been tricked into something sinister?
1: (laughs) Tricked. That is a no barrel. I mean, there's most of the time with, you know, if it makes your family happy and your wife happy and all this kind of stuff, you know, like, I mean, sure. Sure. In this one, I'm a hard no. I am a hard no for, especially if your whole family dresses up, great. Have have that up, kids and wife. You as the man, no, no. You don't get involved in that.
2: It's an undignified look. And to be honest, I think you get bumped down a notch in terms of the respect that your wife holds for you.
1: Precisely. Your wife makes you do this and then sees you dressed all goofy style. Yeah. Like in a family themed thing. It's not cool.
2: Looking like Luigi. Luigi never once looked sexy to anybody.
1: Nope. Never yeah. did. Not the great- only, what is have you ever seen a good family costume?
2: I'm sure the internet has fed me one once or twice, but I can't think of it right now.
1: Daughter's one of her best friends is Japanese. And a couple years ago, uh dad went as sushi chef. Mom went as a bottle of Kikoman soy sauce. Uh, and the kids were all sushi. We're all, uh, yeah, various, uh, I guess, yeah, but they didn't go as family. It was just dad was, dad was sushi chef, mom was Kikoman, and baby was sushi. And then all the other kids were just whatever else they wanted to be. But that trio, without them all doing it, I thought, okay, that works. Dad is, because the sushi chef looked dignified. Mom was cute as Kikamon yeah. and uh, baby Sush. We still call him to this day, baby Sush.
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking about it now and I have seen where like a dad and daughter are doing yeah. a combo and that's pretty endearing.
1: You can, you can, so so here we, I think we unlocked something here, which is great, is you can do uh, a costume pairing, but you cannot do a full family costume thing.
2: And I think the pairing has to be, parent and child, but not yeah. husband and wife. It can't be yeah. husband and wife. pairing. Husband. So and, yeah, that's undignified. So there's the thing. If your wife is the one telling you and she's already got a costume, your only response to that is my role is cameraman. Yeah. I will exactly. be the cameraman taking the photos of you guys. Or if she says, I want you to dress up, then your response has to be, well, then you can't be a part of this.
1: And also you just have to look, you know, if this is a, damned if you do damned if you don't pick pick which damned you want do you want the damned where you're a clown or do you want the damned where you're a curmudgeon being a curmudgeon is way better than being a clown let's just be honest it's on brand for me first
2: of all (laughs) like i don't have to change anything
1: yeah (laughs) give them what they expect totally so yeah once you give in to that kind of stuff though man respect lost forever
2: and it's a slippery slope it's everything now it's everything it's it's basically you're wearing luigi outfit you know, on the 31st and then November 1st, you're getting your manicure with your wife. Yep, yep, And a facial exactly. on Tuesday. Botox on Wednesday. Exactly. Slippery, slippery slope. Well, good. I'm glad we solved this one. I will then uh, throw away the pumpkin outfit that is waiting for me in the other room. <laughs> no joke. Uh, number two, quote, leaving a bowl of candy out for the trick-or-treaters to serve themselves. Most Halloweens, we trick-or-treat outside of our own neighborhood and meet up with friends or family uh, at one of their neighborhoods, not wanting to leave the local kids hanging. I typically leave a big bowl of candy out for the kids to just take for themselves. As a former trick-or-treater myself, I always appreciated avoiding the hassle and time waste of waiting for the homeowners to come to the door and, of course, help myself to an extra handful because there was no adult's presence. However, last year when I came home, not only was all our candy gone, but our stainless steel giant mixing bowl that held the candy was also missing. I felt duped and angry at the thieving hooligans who made off with my bowl and at myself for being so naive and leaving the bowl out there in the first place. This year, we're planning on trick-or-treating elsewhere again. And I wonder if I leave a big bowl out again, Albeit a plastic cheap one this time, or if I shutter the windows and the doors in protest, leaving the unaccompanied ne'er do wells to pass over to the next sucker.
1: This is a tough one because conventional wisdom would say you're not there anymore, kids these days, that candy is going to be gone at the first, the literal first trick-or-treater is just unless that first trick-or-treater happens to be a four-year-old with a parent. But the first solo trick-or-treater comes up, is going to dump all that candy straight into their ba- their whatever bag, you know, and of course, maybe throw the bowl into your window, whatever. But I think you've just got to do it. Like, you just have to do it to not be branded the person who's not celebrating Halloween. Like, religious exemption aside, Jehovah's Witnesses, here's looking at you. Thank you for your service. But anyone else, the person who just, like, doesn't celebrate halloween or doesn't participate in it in any way is a lame person show me Mm. anyone who doesn't celebrate halloween and i'm not saying gets dressed up and goes all out i'm saying doesn't put any scary thing outside the house doesn't take their kid trick-or-treating doesn't do anything at all sits at home even if you don't have kids kids are out of the house whatever if you sit at home and say out of the house watching tv Hearing that doorbell ring and not answering it, shame on you. So, in order to not be seen as that person, I understand you're out participating in Halloween by being out with your kids, trick-or-treating elsewhere. But the look of accidental look of being that person, you solve that by bucket of candy outside. You're participating in Halloween to the person, the the observer. And that's the important thing here. So it's for you, it's not for them.
2: I agree. And I'm going to take it one step further. The day where that 13-year-old who's kind of maybe 15-year-old has kind of aged out of trick-or-treating and he's starting to experiment with his bad behavior.
1: Vandalism.
2: Yeah, the day that he comes across a bowl full of candy is kind of one of the highlights of his life. And yeah, you are the victim in this scenario, but it's a tiny price to pay. You already bought the candy. You were giving the candy away. Anyways, make that kid's day.
1: That's, and David Lee, I'm glad you said, said this. I'm glad you brought this up. Supporting low level hooliganism on Halloween is great. Like if your house gets toilet papered, if you know, whatever, like the low level of hooliganism that goes on for the 13 to 15 set, it only lasts that long because participating in low level hooliganism as a 16 year old is dumb. You look like a, you know, a dummy. Uh, But that small window where you think you're being bad by, yeah, yeah, by smashing a pumpkin or whatever, yeah. As the adult, tip your, you know, you don't, they don't want to be supported in it because that makes it not hooliganism. But in your heart, tip your cap.
2: But I could see a conservative-minded listener saying, "It's a gateway drug. That don't embrace the hooliganism. Don't feed it because then they're going to be keying your car next week or whatever it is." And I would argue. I was a low level hooligan at that age and it didn't lead to anything else. It was a valve that allowed me to blow off some steam. Puberty was coming on strong. I didn't know how to handle it. I had these, I wanted to act out. My parents weren't around. And so just that little tiny bit of blowing off the valve was, you know, it was fun. I got some candy out of it. Didn't need to go any beyond that. And then, you know, probably felt guilty about it on the next day.
1: If you put low level hooliganism in a dark room and deprive it of oxygen, guess what it turns into? Roy Powers dealing drugs on the North shore.
2: High level hooliganism.
1: Yep, exactly. So you let that low level hu- hooliganism hool, uh, right out.
2: <laughs> I prefer today when I thought of Roy Powers only for his crystal blue eyes. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how much
1: what was he injecting his eyeballs with crystal blue drugs? Maybe really had the darkest hair and the bluest eyes.
2: Most beautiful eyes of anybody who's ever been on tour. It's true. By the way, probably translated pretty good to sales. I mean, I would imagine. So, but I mean, I don't know. Do you think the rough and
1: ready North Shore? I mean, if his, if his, most of his clients were women, I could see that working. I mean, I guess I take that back. I would have bought drugs from Roy Powers because of those eyes.
2: That's what Even I'm saying drugs. if I was on tour, not as a surfer, but just as support staff, clearly, uh, and Roy walked up to me and tried to sell me some drugs, and I don't do drugs, and I looked into those blue eyes. But, but you like, exactly how much? Right. Buy how drugs. Much. Yeah. <laughs> what how kind of drugs you got? Get- Roy Powers? Take my money. <laughs> um, final barrel or not, I feel like you've already stepped into, but I'll throw it out there in case you want to address it further, is decorating the exterior of your house for Halloween. Barrel. Okay, you did say barrel already. And the reason I bring this up is because when I was a kid, there was one out of every 10 houses, maybe, that had decorations. Now it's nine out of every 10 houses. They're all the blow-up things that you put in your lawn. We have them in our lawn. And uh, nothing brings more delight to Austin than those blow up figures.
1: I mean, I feel that uh, Halloween decoration has eclipsed Christmas decoration as the thing most enjoyable to a kid. It was most enjoyable to my young daughter and it is most enjoyable now to my young nep- nephew walking around and looking at the Halloween decorations, the streets that go all out. I'm always, cause that's where we'll go trick or treating, right? There's the sand castle here in cardiff where that's the neighborhood that just every house you like have to right like it's themed crazy over the top everything uh which and if you live in one of those neighborhoods then you have to do it you're obliged to do it to be the house that doesn't do that you're shaming yourself and your family um but even if you don't live in one of those neighborhoods you don't have to go crazy but even just one small thing one small scary thing you know propped up that just again i think the you're and if you're not going all out, then you're probably not going to bring joy to a kid. But it's you. You still need to signal. This family celebrates Halloween. I feel that's a marker of importance.
2: Yeah, I I'm embracing it actually, and I never thought I would. But everything's different when you have a kid. Of course, you see it under a totally different light. But uh, I think it was more expensive when we were young, and it took a lot more effort. Yeah, like. Now these blow up things, you can get them, I'm sure on Amazon, but definitely Costco has them Home Depot has a whole aisle of them. They're not expensive. And they're just, you just put the stakes in the yard and they blow up when you plug it in. It's super duper simple and it goes a long way for the kids.
1: People in my neighborhood now this year, I haven't seen before. uh They're getting like 15, 20 foot tall stuff. Like our next door neighbor has like a 20 foot tall Jack Skellington from Nightmare Before Christmas down the street. There's a to be like 30 foot tall but i don't know these ones i think maybe you've jumped the shark a bit i mean i like it conceptually but where in the world do you store that thing
2: that's my other problem and i had that in my notes in fact is there even though it's not as expensive as it once was they're still 30 bucks a pop and there's you know four or five of them in somebody's lawn so it's yeah. costing hundreds of dollars plus the candy that you're going to end up buying and all that so the hollow the how uh holiday becomes expensive then it becomes a storage issue for the rest of the year, which if it were just one holiday, that'd be fine. But guess what? You also have all your Christmas, Christmas stuff, stuff stored. You have your Thanksgiving stuff stored. You have who knows what else.
1: Here's what I'm going to go ahead and say, David Lee Scales. And we're going to solve this for others, which is going to be, let's just have two that we decorate for. Let's have it be October, or for Halloween and for Christmas. If you were decorating your house for Thanksgiving, No more. Not allowed anymore. Nobody needs a Thanksgiving decorated house. You don't need like the cornucopia out there. You need nothing. Throw that stuff away. I know it'll go to the landfill, but get rid of it once for all. Make a little more room for Halloween stuff. Problem solved.
2: I want to get somebody needs to invent the blow up figurine on the yard who doubles like transitions from- They did. Pumpkins. It's called
1: night, Nightmare Before Christmas, what it's called. Tim yeah, Burton's so. already solved everyone's problems. People should just get their Night Before Christmas stuff and leave it all the way through.
2: Yeah, I was just thinking maybe like i had a cover. Like the pumpkins, you put a cover over it and it becomes a snowman or something like that.
1: You smart, know? smart. But, I mean, I guess you could paint your pumpkin white.
2: Yeah, Stacks that's also up. way too much effort. That's way too much effort. They've rot too. Yeah, well, anyways, Halloween is upon us, but we'll have one more show before we get there. Uh, So maybe new barrel and Oz will come in. But gargantuan show today, Chaz. Well done. Thanks for persevering.
1: Monster pod.
2: I saw a uh, article this morning, in fact, that said new study indicates that mental illness may be that over talking or excessive talking may be linked with mental illness.
1: Boom. I think back to the padded room. From the beginning of the show, I think accurate.
2: We're in deep, deep trouble. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, shout out to LinkedIn.com surf. Shout out to DrinkAG1.com surf. The gift that keeps on giving.
1: Forever. That's Forever. the thing you put in your yard. That's the, the decoration for all seasons.
2: That's what you should be giving out for Halloween. In fact, give those oh. travel packs out to the local kids. Boom.
1: Give them out to the adults walking around with their solo cups drinking whiskeys.
2: Exactly. Dump some of that in there. Mitigate the bad, the poison Mm -hmm. that is the whiskey. All right. Well, go to beachgrit.com. Go to at surfjournalist. And then you can find everything related to me at Surf Splendor. Chaz, until next week.
3: Bon voyage.